Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Beringer Ingelheim knows that every veterinary professional in practice has a wide variety of needs. That's why our Equine Veterinary Technical Solutions team, our VETS team, is here to provide education, product, and veterinary expertise, exceptional customer care, and regulatory stewardships. Our mission is to lead our veterinary community in technical knowledge and build a long-lasting relationship with our customers. To get in contact with one of our team members, please call us at 888-637-4251. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the AAP Practice Life Podcast brought to you by our good friends at Beringer Engelheim. Today, we're going to revisit uh, probably some of our most popular podcasts, though, means that it means a lot to people, and that is what's great about equine practice. And once again, joined by my co-host, Jessica Dunbar. Good evening, Jessica. How are you? Good evening. I'm great. So we have invited four guests. We're going to let them introduce themselves. So Jessica, just take it away. Let's start this conversation. I don't know. How pumped are you about this? Hear all these stories. I love talking about what's great about equine practice. So this is my favorite topic. Why don't we start with hearing about each of our four veterinarians we've invited to join us tonight. Let's start with Dr. Lindsay Deacon. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you practice? Thank you, guys. It's wonderful to be here and to get to be a part of this discussion. I am a graduate of Texas A&M 2018, did my internship at Littleson Equine, and then left for a year to do a cardiology and ultrasound fellowship at University of Pennsylvania's New Bolton Center. I did that for one year, and then I had the opportunity to return to Littleton Equine as an associate, where I currently get to work with Jessica. My pleasure to work with you. Thank you. Jen, would you, Dr. Jennifer Rita, like to tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a 2015 graduate of the University of Florida, so I'm eight years out currently. I'm employed at Southern Equine Service in Aiken, South Carolina, and we have a nine-doctor, three-intern practice. I'm one of the associates, and Aiken is a really neat horse area, and I'm blessed to be here. Wonderful. And let's move to Dr. Danielle Price. Tell us about yourself. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this and share all of the good that there is in equine. I am a 2017 graduate of Washington State and then completed my internship at Littleton. And then I had the pleasure of being an associate at Steinbeck Peninsula Equine Clinics in California for four years. And just about six months ago, I moved up to uh, Columbia Equine outside of Portland to just enjoy the outdoor activities that the Pacific Northwest has to offer. Great. And let's hear from Dr. Erica Paxton. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I've been a fan of this podcast for quite some time. I'm a 2016 graduate of Louisiana State University. I did my internship at Equine Sports Medicine and Surgery in Weatherford, Texas, and I'm currently also in the Pacific Northwest practicing in the Seattle, Washington area. Uh, We are a seven-doctor ambulatory practice currently. That's great. I am very happy to be chatting with, with all four of you and Mike tonight. 
Let's start by chatting about what makes equine practice so satisfying to you. And if we could, we're going to go in reverse order. Let's go back to Erica. What do you love about equine practice? There's so many things, but I think the most important thing for me is the horses and the clients. I really enjoy having that connection. We are in a position where we are a lot of times going into their homes or properties or training barns. And not only do we get to meet the clients and the horses, but a lot of times we're meeting their dogs or they might have chickens. And I really enjoy being outside. And sometimes I'm out there working and I look up and see the mountains and it just takes my breath away. I can't imagine having a desk job, right? Let's go to you, Danielle. Yeah, I agree. A lot of the same things uh, are similar for me. You know, first and foremost, I love helping horses and I love helping horse people. You know, I myself am a, a crazy horse girl. So I really enjoy interacting with others who share that passion. And beyond that, I also love that every day is a little bit different. There's a lot of variety in in our day to day. And, you know, that keeps me engaged and excited. I also do really enjoy being outside and being up on my feet, enjoying that aspect of it, too. Pretty great. Even on those cold days or hot days, it's still pretty, pretty great. Jen, let's hear from you on what is most satisfying for you. I definitely agree with my colleagues there that working with the horse, uh, being outside, the variety of the days that that those are all super satisfying in terms of what makes equine practice great. I just am amazed daily that we get to earn a living working with horses. Some days it feels like work and some days it doesn't. And, uh, you know, every time we see a new baby born or all the great moments of clinical practice, it, it really is satisfying to me that that the horses are giving us our lives. I love it. And Lindsay, what are your thoughts on the satisfying parts of this profession we're in? Yeah, I think obviously, as everybody already mentioned, the horse, I think specifically for me, one of my passions is lameness. And I really love being able to help athletes perform and succeed. And so that's very satisfying to me. But I think ultimately, the the biggest thing that makes this practice so satisfying to me is the people. It's interesting because I think so many people go into this profession for the animals, which obviously is so, so important. But the people aspect of it for me is pretty amazing. As already mentioned, you just get to develop such unique relationships with people by going to their homes and um, just being so integrated into their lives. And we just have some wonderful clients out here in Colorado as well. And that's really honestly what keeps me going is is those relationships. I agree. I love everything you guys just said. Thank you. So Erica, when did you know you made the right career choice? It was like during an aha moment. There was one day when you're just driving out there and you're like, I am doing what I'm supposed to do. So my story is a little bit different on this because I actually um, came out of my internship uh, a little bit not sure where I wanted to go. And so I took a job in mixed practice for a few years. And then I did actually go to small animal exclusive practice for about one year. Due to life circumstances, I was moving and it was a temporary move. And during that time, I just felt like something was missing. And so that would be my answer and feeling like the passion wasn't quite there. And Jen, how about yourself? So my moment where I knew I made the right career choice was actually before I went to veterinary school. Uh, I was 17 years old and I was in Scotland 
and we were staying at this castle and our neighbors of the castle that we were staying at called us and said, hey, we have a down horse. Can you send some of your guys over to come help try to get this horse up? And I said, oh, I'm not a guy, but I'll go. <laughs> so I went over to uh, try to help this down horse. It was an older horse. It was a bit thin and it was down on one side, kind of laying on the side of this hill in Scotland where it was beautiful, but the horse couldn't get up. And so I had luckily recently seen this at the farm that I was working at. And I said, hey, I know what to do. We need to get the horse flipped to the other side. We need to try to help him with the head rope and a tail rope and just offered some different ideas. And the uh, <laughs> the farm owners didn't think that the wee lass would know anything about <laughs> helping this down horse. Somebody else stuck up for me and they said, hey, you should listen to her. She works with horses, actually. And so we did. We we flipped the horse to the other side. We had roped it and tail roped it, and we were able to get it up and up to the top of the hill. And that was a moment where I felt like, yes, I can do this. Like I am going to have a lot more to learn, and I need to learn more of the skills and more of the techniques and all of the medicine. But I think that this is a career that I could do where I help horses. That's a great story. Wonderful. And Danielle, tell us about your experience or your, your aha moment. I actually don't really have one singular aha moment. I feel pretty fortunate that it's just every step of the way seemed like the right thing for me to do. But I will say that I have these moments where I'm kind of experiencing a little bit of imposter syndrome or something stressful, unusual kind of case comes up or a difficult client to work with. And whenever I work through those challenges and I come out on the other side feeling like stronger, that really reinforces the idea in my head that I'm doing the right thing. So I actually really like the things about the profession that others find a little bit uncomfortable because it always makes me feel, you know, really successful in the end when I've overcome that. And Lindsay, finally yourself, what is, when did you know that this was the right career for you? I honestly think it was during my internship, which sounds kind of like a crazy time to realize that, but you're in such difficult situations during your internship when you most often, you know, haven't slept much and you're getting sent out on these calls where, you know, for us, we had some standby, but you're pretty much by yourself. And I, it was some of those calls that I just realized, you know, going out in the middle of the night that I'm the one who gets to help this horse and I'm the only one who's available. And this it's really cool to get to be there for those clients in those types of situations. And I just remember multiple times, you know, driving around at midnight and saying, wow, this is the coolest job in the world, as crazy as that sounds. It's just those simple moments, I think, that that made me realize it was the right choice. Kind of put one foot in front of the other and use your knowledge base. And with every experience, it just gets a little more comfortable, it sounds like. Let's shift to a, a different topic here. As you four were deciding to go into equine practice, was anybody trying to dissuade you from going into equine. Jen, can you think of any situations like that? Yes, definitely. So in my undergraduate, I was volunteering for a small animal veterinarian who was our family veterinarian, really beloved caretaker of, of our dogs and cats. And uh, he would always show me his class picture of his graduating class, which was from years ago. And 
point out all the ladies in his class and he would say, do you know how many of them are still in equine practice? Like she wanted to work on a horse and she wanted to work on a horse and how many of them are still doing equine? None of them. <laughs> he would talk about kind of the benefits of small animal with the hours and the workload, but he showed me this picture repeatedly. So I'm thinking maybe at like my 10 year anniversary of equine practice, maybe I'll, I'll send him a picture and say, I'm still an equine veterinarian and I still love it. You should definitely share that with them. <laughs> I think that's important. Erica, what about you? Anybody discourage you from going into equine? I would say absolutely. Even from the the beginning, before I was even in vet school, other equine veterinarians, I used to ride horses and they would tell me, you know, if you want to have your own horses and the time for it and everything, this isn't the right path. But I think we're changing the narrative there for sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Lindsay, your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I had so many people tell me not to go into equine practice, including various undergraduate counselors, other veterinarians, professors at school, my horseback riding trainer, my boyfriend at the time. There's all sorts of people that were very discouraging. And honestly, it really made me want to do it even more just to prove them wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, you know, 99% of the time, I know I made the right choice. There's always going to be that small percentage of time where you question things, but um, I think that's a pretty awesome percentage for a job. And, you know, I guess just a word of advice in terms of that question would be, from my experience, it was really helpful to have people who really knew me well, like my parents um, really knew my heart for this profession and were incredibly encouraging throughout all of that. They're a big reason why I am where I am today. I think surrounding yourself with people that know you well can be very helpful in those situations. That's very true. And Danielle, what do you think? I definitely had a lot of people telling me the things that they tell everyone, all the negativities about equine, but I think I was really good at just kind of blocking it out and not taking it very seriously, kind of acting like it was a joke and just kind of moving on from it. But even today, it still makes me really honestly sad and mad at the same time when I do hear, you know, like if I have a student shadowing me and I hear them talk about a different vet that they shadowed that was telling them not to go into equine, it makes me so upset because honestly, a lot of the challenges that our profession does face could be solved with having more veterinarians. So it just doesn't make sense to me that current equine vets are discouraging people from becoming equine vets, because the solution would be to just have more of us to share, you know, the responsibilities and the small burdens that we do have. That's a good point. Absolutely. I also think too, is I think we're getting smarter about equine practice too. And I think if if somebody's been working by themselves, working 24, seven, seven days a week, I mean, at at some point they're going to like, this is not fun. I think the profession's better at it now. Jessica, let me ask you, did did anybody tell you not to go into equine practice or tell you or suggest that it wasn't the right choice for you? Not that I remember. I graduated in 2005 and I kind of went full speed ahead into equine practice. There was just no other option. So maybe, maybe there was an equine vet along the way when I was in even undergrad that wasn't totally happy in their position, uh, didn't dwell on that. So (laughs) I would say I went full speed ahead into equine practice and, and haven't regretted it. I graduated in 2001, and I can remember a number of of vet school professors saying I was crazy going into equine. And I had a previous career as a farrier, so I knew the industry. I was just, I was a mature student that 
wasn't intimidated. I'm just like, how dare you say that to me? When have you last practiced in equine medicine? They, they knew not to bring it up around me. It must have gone in one ear, out the other ear for me. <laughs> talking about this, we've been talking about what's great about practice. So Danielle, maybe you can comment on what's been your best day as an equine vet or one of those days where you're like, I made a difference. You know, I don't necessarily have one particular day that comes to mind because every day is a great day in equine practice. But one of my kind of favorite aspects that makes a day really great is seeing my clients succeed. Especially when I was in California, a large majority of my clientele was young riders for three-day eventing. So of course, you know, the teenagers today are all over social media you know, getting tagged on social media when they won one of their events just made my heart smile. I just really love being a part of the team and being recognized as a part of that horse's team. That's great. How about yourself, Jen? What's the day or the moment or the case that you're like, this is the best? So I definitely have regular highs in clinical practice and regular lows as well. But I know one of the highs that I can think of One time I had to go suture up this laceration on a horse about an hour away from the clinic. And it was a three-year-old. It was a barely halter broke and it had lacerated pretty badly the inside of its right front lower limb and it was shredded and it had gotten the artery and it was bleeding and their bone was exposed and everything was just a mess. And so I trot down there and it's at night, of course, and I'm doing this by headlight and I'm, you know, between the legs of this three-year-old barely halter broke horse sewing up this laceration. and I. I sewed it up and I thought this thing is never going to hold. And it held miraculously. The leg healed up. The horse did great. Went to athletic performance, was able to get broken and sent on down the road. And that was just one of those impossible cases where you think like, here I am doing my best. And I don't know if my best is going to be good enough today, but I'm going to give it my best and I'm going to see what happens. And luckily that one held. That's awesome. How about yourself, Lindsay? Again, I don't have one specific moment, but... I am fortunate. I get to work with Dr. Terry Swanson one day a week, who's one of the original partners at Littleton Equine. And I would say those days that I have the opportunity to spend with him are some of the best days as an equine vet. We work up lameness cases together and it's just really special to be a part of a team and to learn from someone who's been in equine practice for so long and who still loves it. He's taught me so much about not only just lameness, but about how to communicate with people. And, you know, sometimes I complicate things and in my mind and he says, you know, this horse, I think he just needs shoes. And then we put shoes on the horse and it's better. So, you know, he just taught me so much about how to um, simplify things and to just take a step back and look at the whole picture, the whole horse, those cases that we've gotten to work on together and have helped those horses go do their jobs have been some of the most rewarding. It really does show the value of a good mentor as well, too, to to help somebody as they're starting their career. Yeah, absolutely. Erica, uh, finally, for yourself, what was your best day or best case uh, as an equine vet so far? It's really tough to pick out one particular day because I feel like I have a lot of really good days. And the main thing is whenever I have a case that Uh, has a good outcome. So when you see the colic that comes out of sedation looking for food and everyone is so relieved or one that stuck out in my head was a a Grand Prix dressage horse that had a really, really terrible SDFT injury that we were able to rehab. And I was out the other day and they reported the horse's 
better than he was pre-injury. So those make you feel really good. It gives you some, you know, really great satisfaction that you were able to to help out. I love hearing about the good days, but considering there's all these good days, there's there's probably going to be some challenging days. I uh, would like to hear from each of you on um, the most challenging day as an equine vet. Let's start with you, Jen. So my most challenging day was a day where I got threatened doing my job. So I went to see a choke and it was a client and a horse I had never been to. And I was tubing the choke, working on resolving the choke. And uh, while tubing the, the choke, I give the horse a nosebleed, which you know can happen with passing the tube. And that got everybody's attention who was there. And they all started looking at me and they said, is this horse going to die? And I said, no, sir, he's not going to die. You know, I did my spiel about it's coming from the nose, not the stomach. We're just going to keep resolving the choke and, and work on that blockage. And then they looked at me and they said, if this horse dies, you better be running for your truck. Oh, my goodness. So then at that point, I went ahead and stopped my work and I took the tube out of my mouth and I looked at the gentleman and I said, this horse is not going to die. And I will not be running for my truck. And I just <laughs> stared at him, trying to call his bluff. While mentally I was thinking, you know, how fast could I actually make it to my truck <laughs> where my pistol is at? He backed down a little bit. I, I finished tubing the choke, resolved the choke, the nosebleed stopped, and I went home. But that is the only day, I think, where somebody has actually threatened me while I was trying to help their horse. And that made it a challenging day. Yeah, I'm glad you took a pause and explained things to him. <laughs> nice job. And Lindsay, do you have any any thoughts on your most challenging day? Yeah, I have a couple couple of days that come to mind, but I would say probably my first most challenging day. I don't even know if you knew about this working with me, but when I was an intern, it was my first week on our medicine rotation and I had a really sick draft horse. I believe it was a fever of unknown origin at the time and he ended up having what we think was an anaphylactic reaction to PPG and just essentially fell over dead, which was quite terrifying to me. And for someone who's, you know, straight out of school, you really, that's the last thing that you want to happen when you're trying to, you know, learn what you're doing and help horses. So that was just challenging to process and work through. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, like my fourth week of internship. How am I going to make it through the whole year? But it helps in those situations, again, to surround yourself by supportive people and people who remind you that these things happen and you just have to to turn around. And I gave pretty much every shot of PPG in the clinic for the next like two weeks until I got over my fear. But those days are really challenging. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Danielle, what do you think? Everyone has challenging days and I've had my fair share. I always like to try to reframe my, you know, attitude about challenging days. Like I kind of mentioned in the beginning, when I come out the other side, they always end up making a good story and make me feel stronger and more prepared for the next challenge to come. One of my most kind of comical early challenges was also during my internship year. I was the intern on call on Christmas Day and Christmas morning. I got a call for a horse that had porcupine quills stuck in its leg. And so I went out, it was like an hour away from the clinic. It was super snowy, uh, very, very cold. And I get to this farm and they have no barn. It's just pastures. And so there's no shelter to seek. And 
the wind is blowing and, you know, just unfavorable conditions. And I'm out there all by myself as a new vet. And the the horse that had the porcupine quills in its leg, uh, the quills were all right around the tendon sheath and the fetlock joint. So I was pretty darn nervous, um, really tried to get the client to bring the horse in, but that was not an option for them. And so I was talking to my backup associate. He said, well, you're just going to have to tap those structures and put some amicacin in them. And that's the best that you're going to be able to do. Well, those were the first synovial structures that I put needles in completely on my own. And in those conditions, the scrub was crystallizing and freezing. The medications were crystallizing. The owner wasn't even holding the horse for me. I mean, it was just ridiculous. It took so long and I finally finished and was feeling successful and relieved. And then the other horses walked over to check out what was going on. And we discovered a second horse with porcupine quills all around its coffin joint. (laughs) So I had to start the whole process over again. And then when we finished that one, a third horse walked (laughs) over and luckily just had porcupine quills in its muzzle. So that was far less stressful. (laughs) And how long did it take for your fingers to thaw out? Well, luckily the client was super nice and had brought me hot chocolate. And so I just like breaks every few minutes and like held the hot chocolate container to warm up my hands. So I still had some dexterity. (laughs) That's why they weren't holding the horse. They were bringing you hot chocolate. (laughs) Exactly. They were in the house preparing it. (laughs) That's pretty crucial though. I'm glad you persisted through that very tough Christmas day and uh, one foot in front of the other. Thank you for sharing. And Erica, do you have any any stories to share? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I couldn't think of any stories off the top of my head. But I think the most challenging days for me are those on-call days where the phone just doesn't stop ringing. And our on-call shifts run midnight to midnight. So recently, I had one that started at, you know, the phone rarely rings in that midnight to 6 a.m. window. But when it does, you know, going to be a long day. And I had a call that came in about 4am and then, you know, went through the whole work day. And I can't remember if I had ERs in between and then got the, you know, 9pm choke. So end of the day covered in feed and, and all of that. So those days, I think for me are the toughest when you're just scrambling all day, your day started in a state of frenzy, and you're trying to make sure you're drinking enough water and getting enough to eat and all of those things. So it leads well into the next question, Mike. Absolutely. I'm just thinking like, you know, the stories that you're all telling you, but we all know how emotionally demanding this job is. It's also can be very physically demanding. Uh, so what do you do to recharge? Let's start with you, Lindsay. What do you do to put a bad day behind you or just get the right exercise or, or what have you to keep yourself in the right mental state of mind? Well, I'm lucky enough that I live very close to the mountains. I like to go into the mountains and um, hike, trail run, or I'm a big skier as well. And even though it's about an hour to two hours away, I still feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere. And most often there's not great cell service, which is a nice break for me. I think that's what also helped keep me going is to have those external hobbies as well. How about yourself, Jen? I sleep at every given opportunity. (laughs) Mostly kidding, but. I also have 
three and a half horses. My mare's bred. She's due in two months. And I, I take a few polo lessons when I can. I'm really horrible, but I find it very fun. And I enjoy traveling as well just to get away. Uh, I've been to Central America, you know, a handful of times and and like just visiting new places and, and recharging my batteries. And Erica, how, uh, what are you able to do up in the Pacific Northwest area to help you recharge? Well, there's so much to do up here in terms of outdoor uh, activities. Uh, recently, last year, we got sea kayak, so I get the wetsuit on and go out and um, there's seals and all sorts of things you can see out there. And the other thing that's really important to me that has been really integral and in like kind of keeping me balanced is yoga. I've been practicing yoga for about 12 years and um, my yoga path and my veterinary path have been pretty parallel. I did a yoga teacher training when I was in vet school, which looking back, <laughs> was kind of a crazy thing to do. Um, but I started teaching back then and let that go for a long time and just started teaching again last fall when we went down to a four-day work week. So my day off, I teach yoga and it gives me a sense of purpose and identity outside of veterinary medicine. People come and they're happy. They leave and they're happy. No one's in a state of crisis. So it just kind of gives me a good change of pace. I like that. No one's in a state of crisis. <laughs> no emergency yoga sessions. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Danielle, how about yourself? This is probably my most favorite question of the day because it brings up a topic that I'm pretty passionate about. To recharge, I enjoy riding my own horse. And the reason I'm so excited about this concept is because there are so many naysayers out there that say, you know, if you're going to go into equine vet med, you're never going to ride your own horse again. And I'm living proof that that is untrue. I ride my horse three to four days a week very consistently. And we successfully go and show in three-day eventing. And a lot of people say, oh, after working with horses all day, after being in barns all day, the last thing I'd ever want to do would be to go be in another barn, be with another horse. But for me, it's different. It's like therapeutic. It reminds me why I love horses in the first place. It helps me stay connected to horses in a way that's not just medicine and really just like re-energizes me for why I wanted to be in this profession in the first place. I think it's important to bring up that you don't have to be a horse person in the traditional sense, first and foremost, to become an equine vet. I was actually talking to uh, a small animal emergency vet last weekend, and she had mentioned that when she was in vet school, she was actually really interested in equine veterinary medicine. However, she was really intimidated by the culture surrounding equine vet med while in vet school. Um, she said her experience was that the equine students or even unfortunately professors would sort of make fun of her if she wasn't able to go out to a pen and you know catch a horse that was a little bit hard to get a halter on. It never really took the time to teach her any horsemanship, so it really turned her off from the idea of possibly becoming an equine vet. But on the flip side of that, you know, I do know uh, quite a few people who weren't necessarily raised around horses, you know, and didn't have horses as a hobby before becoming an equine vet. So I just wanted to put that out there that even the non-horsey people in the traditional sense should still really consider how wonderful of a profession equine veterinary medicine is and you know, reach out for mentors in kind of the horsemanship aspect of it as well, because it's totally possible. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Keep it up, girl. <laughs> Thank you guys for going through that. 
Would you guys change anything about equine practice to make it even better? Let's start with Erica. So I think we need to change the narrative that we can be successful equine practitioners and have a balanced life because that's not the narrative that's out there right now. We're sort of told coming through that we kind of have to sell our soul to this profession and do the seven days a week and the on-call. And that's simply just not true. So I think that that's the biggest thing. There are just so many progressive practices out there and people that are um, really making a difference. And I think that's, we need to keep moving forward. Absolutely. I love changing the narrative. Lindsay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, kind of along those lines. The first thing that came to mind was I would figure out ways, and this I think this is both a global and an individual issue, that figure out ways to improve boundaries. I know that's probably the biggest thing that I struggle with as just a personal thing, that it's it's hard when you're so passionate about what you do and when you love it so much to to turn it off. While it does start with the individual, I do think it's something that we need to work on as a profession to educate our clients and just change their expectations of how they can reach us and how, you know, how often and, you know, working at a big practice where we can share the load is helpful. But I think this is something that is a work in progress. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. Jen, what do you think? So to Lindsay's point about, you know, a group practice where we can share the load and share the on-call, I, I wish that everyone would have the support and mentorship and team that I've had in my first, you know, eight years of practice. I feel like I really rely on my team. You know, we have people answering the phone. We have technicians a majority of the time riding with us. We have people to run the blood work, you know, help to clean the stalls at the clinic. We have senior veterinarians who we can show our x-ray and our ultrasound images to and say, hey, what do you think about this? What can I do for this horse? Um, other vets willing to help us out, you know, the ability to pass off cases to a appropriately qualified colleague who's going to take care of that patient really, really well. And so that we can take a weekend off. And I wish everyone could have that. I know that's not the situation for all equine vets out there. I know there's a ton who are in solo practice or who are in a rural area who don't have the mentorship and don't have the support. And in terms of changing things within equine practice to make it better. I know that the AAP is working on that hard right now. So I'm a part of one committee that's called the AAP Compensation Committee, and we're working on that particular aspect. But they're working on a lot of other things, too, to try to improve practice culture, internships, you know, student perception of equine practice. So I think it has never been a more hot button topic than it is now as to how we can make sustainable changes in equine practice that can make everyone's lives better. Amen. Thank you. And then Danielle, do you have anything to add about um, what you would change about equine practice? That's a tough act to follow. I feel like these three really kind of hit all the major, the pain points for equine vet med truly are, you know, better compensation, better work-life balance, boundaries, uh, and we're, we're coming up with solutions for those. You know, I think all of those things are moving in the right direction and we just need to keep pushing for them keep advocating for ourselves for those things. And it's, it's coming. And, you know, I think it sounds like for all of us being in group practices is certainly a good solution. But, you know, I've been to a lot of talks at AAP and whatnot too, with really, you know, brilliant ideas for solo practitioners as well, as far as, you know, regionally setting up on-call co-ops and that sort of thing. There's also the idea of relief veterinary work, which is becoming more popular And so there's solutions out there. And I'm really optimistic that it's really only going to get better and better. 
I am too. And it's just thinking outside the box, isn't it? The last question, one that's very adjacent to the one you all just answered is, you know, I'm sure there are probably some new associates, students that are going to listen to this. So what kind of advice would you give them to help them choose the right practice? Let's start with you, Erica. I would say don't choose a practice that's so stuck in the past that they can't move forward. Uh, Choose a practice that's progressive and innovative and willing to listen. Uh, Always advocate for yourself and then realize that nothing is permanent. So if you don't land in the right place in the first time around, you can find a different practice that might be more suited to your needs. I know a lot of people out there are doing some more specialized practices as well. So people that maybe general practice wasn't the right fit for them, but they wanted to stay connected to equine practice. They'll do equine dentistry only or sports medicine only or chiropractic and acupuncture or podiatry barrier practices. So there's just so many options available out there that you don't have to settle if you don't find the right fit right off the bat. I know there's also practices out there that have people doing 50-50 small animal and equine. So if that's something that interests you, like that's an option too. There's just, there's so many options today. So don't get discouraged. Absolutely. There are so many options. Danielle, what about, what advice would you give a young uh, student or a new grad about choosing the right practice? We're definitely in a time when there is a high demand for equine veterinarians. So I would say know your worth. And don't be afraid to ask for what you're worth. And also don't be afraid to ask for what you need, even if it is a little bit outside of the box. So, you know, if you have an idea about an alternative work schedule, if you want to focus your hours more on emergency hours because you value having business hours off to go ski on the mountain when it's not crowded or, you know, something like that, whatever it is that is going to make this a sustainable career for you. Don't be afraid to ask for it because the ball's kind of in your court right now. How about you, Lindsay? What advice would you give? I think that Erica had a really good point about just the ability to be creative in terms of what you want your job to look like. I think I didn't realize that as a student, I just kind of assumed, you know, I'm going to go be an associate at a a general practice and, but gosh, there's so much flexibility and you just, she's right. Like you just have to think outside of the box because there's so many different things that you can do. I think the other really important thing is to identify what is most important to you in your individual situation and really try to seek those things out. So for me, I would say probably one of my biggest stressors is something goes wrong or I have a question about something and I I don't have anybody to talk to about it. And so I am lucky enough to be at this practice at Littleton where I have resources, you know, I have people that I, if I have a tricky case or something I didn't feel um, great about, I can text them right away and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And it really, really helps to ease my anxiety over some of those tricky cases. And so for me, that teamwork and the practice culture was super important to me and is has really helped me on a daily basis to continue to love my job and to be able to separate out my stress at work and then, then enjoy my my life at home as well. Jen, you have the last word. What advice would you give to a, a new grad or a young soon-to-be veterinarian? So if I could give one piece of advice about how they should choose where they want to go, I would say go somewhere where you really like the people. Because I think at the end of the day, a practice can have a lot of really cool toys in terms of equipment and machines to use. They can have 
good pay. But if you don't like the people that you're working with, it makes coming to work a lot more difficult. And to Lindsay's point, you know, going someplace where you can work together as a team, you can ask people for help, they can call you and say, hey, I forget, can you give Buscapanjo a pregnant mayor or not? Or, you know, things like that. It, it makes it a world of difference if you really enjoy the people that you're working around. And I'm lucky to have awesome colleagues that I can call and they'll help me and they can call me and I'll try to help them with whatever I can. And, and it makes a difference. So go somewhere where you like the people. And I think that will make a big difference in your day-to-day work life. It's all about the people. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That was some great insights. I'm sure anybody who is listening to this, hopefully somebody who is sort of wondering if they want to go to equine practice, this might be the feedback that they got to go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do it. And uh, your stories are all really inspiring. And yeah, I know, uh, Danielle, you said earlier that you're optimistic about the future of your profession. And I am too. And now when we have conversations like this, I am really pumped about what we can do. And I think uh, the progressive thinking and outside the box, as many of us have mentioned, we're on the right track. This is a great time to enter this profession. And I thank each of you for sharing some of your stories and wisdom today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Good night. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Beringer Ingelheim knows that every veterinary professional in practice has a wide variety of needs. That's why our equine veterinary technical solutions team, our VETS team, is here to provide education, product, and veterinary expertise, exceptional customer care, and regulatory stewardships. Our mission is to lead our veterinary community in technical knowledge and build a long-lasting relationship with our customers. To get in contact with one of our team members, please call us at 888-637-4251.